Welcome to the Sense of Soul podcast. We are your hosts, Shannon and Mandy. Grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. Hey friends, if you are looking for ad-free Sense of Soul episodes, you can find them at Sense of Soul Patreon. Become a monthly member at any level. You will also have access to our monthly SOS Sacred Circles, our mini-series, merch, and much more. And it's a great way to help support our podcast so that we can continue to bring you inspiring episodes twice a week with our enlightened guests from all around the world. Check out our Patreon. Today we have with us Vincent Jenna. He's a spiritual teacher, a psychic therapist, medium, and the author of The Secret That's Holding You Back. He is also a podcast host of The Jenna Effect, and we are super excited to have him join us today. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm Shanna. Nice to meet you. Shanna. Okay. Yes. Nice to meet you too, Shanna and Mandy. I am Mandy and oh my God, you're hilarious. <laughs> I cannot wait to vibe with you today because you are definitely our people. <laughs> oh my gosh. Where have you seen me? We just stalked you. <laughs> I love being stalked. At yeah. 67 years old, it is definitely flattering to be stalked by anybody. Okay. okay. I appreciate it. Well, we are super excited to talk to you. And actually, right. before we get into all of the wisdom that we know that you're going to bring our listeners today, I wanted to talk about who Vincent is, like that Catholic little boy. Tell us how you got to where you are today. Uh, drugs. Lots and <laughs> lots and lots of drugs. Okay. okay. In the 60s. Really- no, I, I was too young in the 60s to participate in that. Thank goodness. Yeah, it's really crazy. When I look back, all the pieces fit together. But of course, you don't know that in the beginning. And so when I was younger, my uncle nicknamed me the little professor. And the reason for that is I didn't care about conversations amongst the kids and people my age. I was sitting there with all the adults listening to them. But more than that, I was chiming in with my own comments. And so when you're four and five years old and you look at the, you know, little toddler, oh, isn't that cute? It's so cute. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. But now when you're 10 and 11 and 12 and 13 and you're still giving answers to the adults, they start getting annoyed with you. And so my mother would smack me the side of my head and is like, go out and play and leave us alone. What would really get them is that some of the comments I would make, a lot of the comments I would make were right, were correct comments, were were statements and answers about questions they were asking. And I think that freaked them out more than anything else, which is why my uncle always said, little professor, he always has an answer for everything. So now I understand where that was coming from. And that actually helped me to understand that the process that I went through and the spiritual awakening was all part of my plan and my mission and purpose here. But again, I didn't know that. I was also extremely talented when I was younger. I had a great little voice uh, being Sicilian. Sicilians are known for their operatic voices. Why? Because Sicilians are close to Africa. And evolutionarily, um, the closer you are towards a place like Africa, 
the more open your orifices are going to develop in order to take in oxygen. Plus, I come to find out that Jenna is actually, they, we, my family migrated from Northern Africa, from Tunis, Africa. So I'm even closer there. So like Pavarotti, um, they were, you know, all Sicilians. And so I had this big voice, this operatic big voice for a little kid and I can sing and I can dance. So I was in all the plays and all the musicals. And actually without realizing it, that saved my life because I was also the bullied one in school. Funny thing about my story is mom always wanted a daughter. And most Italian mothers always want a daughter because they figure the daughter is gonna take care of them when they get older. Yep. Little did they know about their own children when they had them and some of the daughters there and how they did not take care of them. Um, but this son did. So mom was extremely disappointed that when I was born, that I was a boy and not a girl. And before she even had a chance to see me, the umbilical cord was around my head. So the doctor pronounced that uh, you have a healthy little boy, though I have to remove the umbilical cord from him. And she's going, no, I don't. It's a girl. And he's going, no, Mrs. Jenna, it's a boy. Now, mind you, my mother in anger told me this story, okay? To, to dig a knife and go, you were always a disappointment to me kind of story, right? Oh. And so she's telling me this and then turns around and says to the doctor, I know what this is. This is an April Fool's joke because guess when I was born on April Fool's? Oh, my <laughs> She thought it was an April Fool's joke until the doctor said, no, Mrs. Jenna, and was able to get the umbilical cord out, cut it off and hand me to her. And then she burst out in tears. And that was the start of how she was going to start treating me. The, the, I guess the good thing was, is not only was I talented, but I was a really good looking kid when I was young. Oh, but I ruined that with age. I got a whole bunch of wrinkles on it. And so... She treated me very prissily and daintily and dressed me perfectly and used to comb my beautiful hair. And she combed it until I was 17 years old because I was afraid of my parents. You know, I was more of a lover and definitely not a fighter. My brother, who was born six years earlier, he was big and brawny and he definitely stood up to them more than I did. And so the minute I started my school career, the kids used to pick on me because everything on me was perfect. And then by the time, it's very funny, you know, you give away your age by the history of even style. Kids were not allowed to wear blue jeans into school until I was in high school. And now all the kids are wearing blue jeans, but mom would not let me wear blue jeans. So I was the only one who was not in blue jeans, still dressed really pretty and daintily. Kind of like you see the 80-year-old men walking around with a button-down shirt that's really big <laughs> and the short sleeves. And even if they're not working, they're always dressed with the dockers and, you yeah. know. I and saw him this morning walking. You know, I was like, how cute. I know, how cute and adorable. Yeah. Well, that's that's great for an old man. It's terrible for <laughs> a kid because you get picked on from that. And so that's where the abuse started. And then it got worse and worse and worse because I wasn't a fighter and I didn't fight back. And so that reputation got around. So there was daily chasing me home from school. If they caught me, they would beat me up in school. They'd shove me in lockers, head flushed in toilets, peed on me, spit on me, stripped me and threw me into assemblies, threw me in dumpsters outside the school. So all of that stuff went on. 
Oh. Then, of course, we might as well add in the fact that I was sexually molested by my babysitter and the parish priest until I was 13 years old as well, and I could stand up to them. So all of that went on in my life. That was the beginning aspect of my life. But by the time I was 17, well, before that, the acting, at least when I got on stage, whether it be in my chorus, my choral groups, or when I was doing shows and I had leading roles because of my voice, this kept me going. This kept me going. And so I thought I was supposed to be a professional singer, actor, and dancer. Actually, I needed to be a professional singer, actor, and dancer. And I had the opportunities, wonderful opportunities because of my talent singing at the Kennedy Center and Carnegie Hall and, wow. and uh, the Eastman School of Music in Rochester. And all oh, this was all during my career in school. So at least I had that for me, you know, and then at home also, mom had some mental pathologies because she was sexually molested. And so she had, everything in the book that you can imagine that I learned about when I went back to school. And I used to get beat regularly at home for the slightest little thing there. So nothing was really safe. And, and then life changed for me when I met my girlfriend back then. And uh, she was going to a different school, thank goodness. Um, and that is my current wife. Uh, so, and my only wife, we've been together for 49 years. I met her when I was 17. I was her first real boyfriend. She was my first and only girlfriend, real girlfriend. Wow. And so we've been, been together, but she was the only one who believed in me. Um, and it was at my 10 year high school. Oh, by the way, I might as well throw this into, that's got to impress everybody that's listening <laughs> now. Um, one of my claim to fame is I pursued a professional career as a singer, actor, and dancer. And my greatest claim to fame is I was in the movie Grease as a singer, actor, and dancer. So that also, again, putting together the hindsight, I had no idea that any of these pieces were going to fit together, but there was a reason why I was in that movie. And I wasn't one of the stars, but it didn't make a difference because being in that movie, the way I was in that movie, and that you can see me in that movie, made a difference to the people in my life and around me. So mm -hmm. when I went to my 10 year high school reunion, which I was gonna go to because I was in that movie, I had all of this news media when it came out, right? It was a blockbuster smash hit a few years before in 1978. And then in 1983 was my 10 year high school reunion just before this awakening. Perfect timing. Absolutely. So I went with a chip on my shoulder. I was married already. Um, I had a two and a half year old son. And so I was pretty proud of my life. And they weren't sure whether I was showing up or not. Is Vince going to come? Because now he's somebody. You know, you come from a small town and it doesn't make a difference if you're a star in a movie. But if it's a famous movie, you're automatically a star. And especially if you're in the newspaper, the local newspapers, and you're on TV and stuff like that. So they weren't sure I was going, but I was going. Man, I was going. I was going. I was, I was going to prove. I was going to show them. Hey, guys. You know, remember the guy you used to pick on? Well, you know what you can do with that? Yeah, I definitely had a <laughs> fuck you attitude. Did you have on a black leather jacket? I wore a pink jacket. <laughs> You're, that's oh, like an ultimate fuck you. I can wear 
I can wear, that was definitely a fuck you, I can wear pink. And and I have, you know, it's so funny because on my Facebook page, I have a picture of, of my wife and I, she's absolutely beautiful. And I look like I'm 13 years old because I always had a young look back then, but I just Thanks. love it with the pink jacket and the tie. Well, I have to tell you, I walked in and the entire hall, 350 people froze. It was like Cinderella at the ball. And it was that whole story. They looked at me, the girls screamed, oh my God, he's here. They apparently were talking all about me prior. They just ran up to me, including girls who used to pick on me. It wasn't just the boys who used to pick on me. The jockettes used to join in and tease me and pick on me too and throw things at me. Oh, they all, all did that. Now they're sitting around my table you know, wanting to know all the stories from Hollywood, you know, and I did have a bunch of them, which was so much fun and made them laugh a lot. But the one kid, when you're a class clown, you already have popularity. When you are the super jock, you have another popularity. When you're both, you have super popularity. Okay. And so the one kid who had this super popularity, he was the guy, he never picked on me physically, but he would instigate everybody else picking on me. Mm. And so, and all he would have to do is shout, Vinny. That's all he did. And that was the cue for wherever he was in the cafeteria, in the hallway, in a class, right during class, for the kids to start picking on me. And they all did. They would laugh, they would pick, they would throw things, spit things at me, everything, okay? Knock me over. It was so, it was worse than Eugene in the movie Grease. And I didn't even wear glasses with a Band-Aid on it. Didn't do that. Ugh. But I didn't fight back. So anyway, to make a long story short here, is this kid yells my name just like that in the whole hall of this 10 year reunion and the, and the hall freezes again because everybody's like, wait a minute, what is he gonna do? And he, when he, as soon as he saw me, he was on the other side of the hall, Vinny. And then he ran to me, grabbed me, hugged me, wouldn't let me go. <laughs> wouldn't let me go, picked me up off the ground, would not let me go. He just hugged me, cheek to cheek hug. Not, oh not one of these manly hugs that they do. No, it was the warmest. In that hug, I felt, I'm so sorry. Aww. Please forgive me. And I love you. And just would not let me go. And then sat at my table most of the night and championed me. He would bring the jocks over. You gotta come listen to the story of Vinny telling. They're hysterical. Come on guys, you don't know what you're missing. And then invited, he said, a bunch of us are going out to the diner afterwards. Would you please come? Would you and your lovely wife please come? Invited me. And it was all jocks that were at the table, the nicer ones, but still jocks nonetheless, okay? And we had a great night. Well, he became my dearest friend from that point on. And his life was for shit, even though he bragged about it the entire time. The one thing you never did with Dennis, and I can mention his name, he's giving me permission, is ask him, how are you doing? Because it, the rest of the evening and the conversation would be about him. The, oh, the reunion was the only time that it was about me. But the rest of the time that I had spoken with him, it was about him. I could be on the phone with him an hour with him talking about how fabulous 
fabulous his life is. The money he's making at work in Manhattan. And then he has his beautiful condo in Connecticut and a gorgeous, his sweetheart wife and three kids from that. And ah, perfect health. And so all I kept hearing was bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. So after spending a weekend with him, my wife and I in Connecticut, and his wife wasn't there, the kids weren't there. We're driving home, I'm crying. I'm hysterical crying. My wife is like, what is the matter? I said, my heart is breaking. His life is falling apart. I know it. I know something is wrong and he's not sharing it with anybody. He's, he's sticking it way down deep. And she said, what are you talking about? We're renting a home and he's living in a gorgeous condo that he owns in, in Connecticut. And the expensive part, I said, no, 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 no. I'm telling you, it's all wrong. So I cried out to God right then and there the first time, which I never did while I was being tormented. Okay. God, you got to give me the ability. Please, please give me the ability to help this guy, to help him. I'm, my heart is aching for him. I know he's hurting, but I don't know how to help him. And it was the weirdest thing because I didn't pray for God to help him. Because that's the normal prayer. Please help him. Send him angels, whatever. However you pray, you pray for somebody, right? I didn't do that. I prayed to help me help him. And I don't know that, of course, then I didn't know why I was doing it. I know now it was a whole unconscious, soulful, guided prayer. And within that week, that's when everything started happening paranormally, metaphysically, spiritually. And this awakening download into my head, spirits coming into my house, being introduced to psychics, being told I'm going to be a spiritual teacher, being told the soul of Jesus is around me and is going to help me. Within seven years, I'm going to be a spiritual teacher. My whole life is going to change. And I'm like freaking out all over the place. And that's how it came to me. And believe it or not, that's the abridged version. Wow. That's like Vincent, Jenna, and Peggy Sue got married. I love that yeah, movie. <laughs> I know. Peggy Sue got married. I got to rewatch that now. Oh, my God. Ago. I, I know. Was... Right, 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 right. Yes, it was yeah, crazy. We're back to the crazy. <laughs> Thank God. It's my wife. My wife, who she kept a, such grounding because she was scared as to what was happening. She didn't understand it. But she just knew me and knew that I didn't know anything that I was speaking. I'm speaking these ancient wisdom words that we went to the library and the bookstores to the occult section. Because back then, all the spiritual self-help books were called the occult books. And we're just picking up books randomly and words that I was speaking would be in those books verbatim, paragraphs at a time. And, and she knew I never read those books. And she would ask her mother, she says, oh my gosh, you're not going to believe what's happening. And her mother would turn around and say, well, as long as he's saying good things and not bad things, then just, you know, go with it. And so she just helped me. And then it was Oprah who normalized me, believe it or not. Oprah, I'm home one day babysitting my son and my wife is at work. Four o'clock in the afternoon, I turn on the TV and Oprah's on. And she has a special guest to Shirley MacLaine. And it was the first time that Shirley MacLaine outed herself from the spiritual closet, talking about her experiences in the book she just wrote out on a limb. I'm like watching the TV. I'm going, are you shitting me? Are you shitting me? This is Shirley MacLaine is going through the same things that I went through. Holy crap. You mean I'm not crazy? Because I didn't know any of that stuff. I didn't know paranormal stuff or any of that. I, was, I grew up in a small town, Levittown. 
You know, the most famous thing about Levittown is that they would track homes. And Levitt <laughs> built it in Pennsylvania and in Levittown. And it was mostly for the military guys at the bases down there. That was what was famous about Levittown. Not about ghosts and not about spirits and not about, you know, anything else paranormally. And there I am in this town. So I didn't know any of that crap. So even though I was in the movie, I lived in California for seven years, I avoided that woo-woo stuff. Yeah. I hung around the stable actors rather than the unstable woo-woo people. And boy, talk about <laughs> the stable actors, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That right there is a freak it's, statement. That's a funny comment. <laughs> Very funny comment. I don't know if there you is ended, such a you thing. You ended up finding out the woo-woos were the more stable ones, right? Yes, they were the more. Absolutely. <laughs> she normalized yeah. it for me. While you were telling the story, my ego was like, fuck that guy. Screw him. I wouldn't even have let him sit at my fucking table. And your heart was like, you invited him in. You spent the whole fucking weekend with him with your wife. And so your amount of forgiveness must be so deep because, I mean, of all the pain you've gone through with the church, your mother, then this guy, like, talk about forgiveness. You know, I teach forgiveness all the time. Okay, Mandy, I can't ever say that I actually had to sit there and choose to forgive. Well, first, there was a part of me that when I was being picked on, I actually thought I must have deserved it in some way. Then there was a resilient part of me that was saying, well, fuck you all. I'm better than that. Okay, that actually got in my way in pursuing my professional career as an actor, because I thought I was so good. I didn't need school. I didn't need lessons. I didn't need classes. I was just going to make it famous in Hollywood. And then after I did some things there, I was coming back to New York. I'm going to be famous on Broadway. I never did what I was supposed to do because of that defense mechanism in needing to believe I was that good. So I had a fuck you attitude. I'm not going to do it any other way. It was more like Frank Sinatra's My Way, which I used to sing and sang in a nightclub act but realize that part of your way needs to also incorporate a way that helps you to grow, you know, and I didn't do that. But then there was the other part of me that just knew that they were going through things, that they were hurting in some way. And I just wanted to be loved so much. And this is an aha moment for me right now on your show. On your podcast, I am getting an aha moment. And I've been doing this for 40 years and I'm still getting aha moments. Yeah. And usually my wife gives me aha moments. Wake the fuck up. Wait, no, that's an <laughs> aha moment. No, I'm joking. But my aha moment was I needed to be loved so desperately that there was nothing about forgiveness. I never disliked anybody. I never was angry with them. I couldn't because if I was angry with them, then I couldn't get anybody or them to love me. And you know, it's really interesting. Once I stopped all of that and I had my spiritual awakening, these kids are some of my kids' kids. They're all adults now. But the kids that used to pick on me are some of my greatest fans today. And at our 20-year high school reunion and our 30-year high school reunion and our 40-year high school reunion, they paid so much attention to me Oh, my God. They were all over me. The girls wanted to dance with me all night long. I'd make them laugh. At the 30th high school reunion, we were at the bar before we got in with the guys. And the guys were arguing amongst each other who was the worst asshole. But it wasn't, oh, man, you were a real asshole the way you abused him. No, it was 
man, I was a real asshole for what I did. And then the other one would go, you think you were an asshole? I'm the one who threw him in the dumpster. And then the other asshole was, yeah, but I used to beat the shit out of him in class all the time. And, this, and, I'm, and I'm like, guys, guys, relax. You were yeah. kids. Did they ever give you like a sit down amends? Like truly really apologize in their hearts. They dedicated the reunions to me. They were so embarrassed and I didn't want them to feel that way that they would sit by me and they said, Vince, I am so sorry for the way I treated you. I just didn't know you. And I'm like, stop. Yeah. To apologize. How old were you? Come on. You didn't know what you were doing. You were trying to be popular with everybody else. That's okay. It's okay. But I have to say, and this is going to sound crazy. I know today that I made a soul contract with every single abuser of mine intentionally, mm -hmm. including my parents. Mm -hmm. so that I could be the spiritual teacher I am today. Now, was that a dumbass contract to make? You better fucking believe it. We <laughs> make some dumbass choices when we're on the other side and we're feeling unlimited. I'm going to go down there and be superhero. I'm going to wipe out all of my karma. Just watch me. I'm going to let everybody just abuse the shit out of me. It's kind of, now that's not going to work. That's dumb. But I chose that and I could have been not only one of the Menendez brothers and off my parents, right? right. Yeah. Been one of those guys that got a shotgun and walked into the school and started shooting everybody up. True. Like, Just yesterday, my little girl came home from her third day of school and said, the one boy mom that we were talking about that we hope we don't get in our class because he's such a bully sits across from me. And she's like the quiet girl. Uh, so she goes, and I'm sitting there and we're on our computers and he reaches over and just turns mine off. And she's like, I was thinking to myself, if it's going to be this way all year long, I'd rather not go. We had a conversation. I said, have you known him since, you know, kindergarten? She's like, yeah. I was like, tell me about him. She goes, well, he's that redheaded kid. He got made fun of when he was little. Ah, I said, you see, Kensley, hurt people, hurt people, bullies, bully other people. And she's like, you know what? You're right. And she started to feel sorry for him. She really did. And so I, I could see her little mind going. I could see her eyes, you know, moving in the back of the car, thinking of ways that she could maybe turn that around for him. Oh, absolutely. All she has to do is turn around and say to him one day, I know you don't mean to be mean. I know you're better than that because I remember you from when you were younger and you were picked on and it felt really bad. And I would rather be your friend than your enemy. Because yeah. I think there's something special about you. And one day, hopefully you get to see that too. Think about this for a moment. The reason, and look at the United States today. This is what's all in my book, by the way. Mm -hmm. Secret that's holding you back. When you look at everybody and the way they're lashing out, they're not adults lashing out. Adults mm -hmm. are rational, reasonable, reliable, and stable. Every single adult that does not have a mental disorder of some kind is rational, reasonable, reliable, and stable. Their inner child is not. So what you're seeing, and people have even said this, if you just look at them, take away the gun, and maybe put a, a, a you know, the baseball and a glove, they're all having temper tantrums and like, you don't care about me. Well, I don't care about you. And, and I'm going home and I'm taking my back and you're going to hit me. I'm going to hit you back. That's exactly how they're acting because their inner child has been so hurt, so abused 
that they don't think the world likes them at all, so they're lashing out with that. Well, the fuck you attitude is, well, you don't like me, I don't like you. Sounds like Fox News. It is, it is <laughs> all of that. Yes, the only thing that they're not doing is saying nana nana boo boo. You're and- right. If they did that, and if we just looked at them as these children, we would do exactly what your daughter, who yeah. so insightfully, by the way, very insightfully, keep nurturing that insight for her to be able to understand at her age like that, that, ah, so, you know, he must be feeling bad because he was bullied. If we could only see that within them, then even our response and the way we work with them or help them would be so different. Because like I said, you were talking about love earlier, right? You were talking, Mandy, you asked me about that and forgiveness. And because I wanted to be loved so desperately that that forgiveness was automatically there. But then what happened was once I started working on myself and believing in myself, it just happened. Everybody was loving me. They all loved me because I made them feel better about themselves. And they even said that. I have a friend here who was with me since elementary school to high school. He moved to Florida. And because I'm here in North Carolina and because I befriended him, he wrote to me at 50 years old. He searched me down. I got an email from another guy on Facebook from high school that says, by the way, I just want to let you know that our classmate is looking for you. Is it okay if I give him your contact number? I have absolutely no idea why he's looking for you, but he just asked me if you know Vincent Jenna and do you know a way that I can reach him? Can I give him your email? I said, yeah, sure. And who was it? And he told me, I was like, why is he seeking me out? So he writes me this beautiful email that he has changed so much and grown so much in his life. And he's done so many things, but the one thing that he cannot deal with and the bad taste he still has in his mouth is the way he treated me. And if I could ever forgive him for the way he treated me, it would help to release that pain that he has. And I wrote him an email back, apparently so loving and so compassionate oh my gosh, you don't have to ask for my forgiveness. It's automatic, man. You didn't know, you know, what you were doing back then. We were kids and I was dorky. I can admit it. And so I get it now. Don't worry about it, man. You're a good guy. Even for wanting to do this, start believing in how wonderful you are. Mm -hmm. And there was a kid and back then they had a shop club, woodworking and had to fix cards and stuff like that. You wore a special stupid hat and you had to carry around <laughs> this wooden stick the senior upper seniors wanted to use that on you you know they would paddle you or whatever but all in jest and fun kind of was you know hazing you know back in those days well this kid was such a bully and so horrible to everybody in school this one period he sat right behind me he said give me a stick and it was like a one by two you know so it's pretty thick and he says every time the second hand hits the 12, tell me, and tell me soft, medium, or hard. And for the next 45 minutes, every minute, he would whack me on the arm, same place. And we were in the front row and the teacher was at the desk right there with the head looking down, not wanting to pick a head up at all. And I would tell him, and sometimes I would say soft and he would whack me hard and he would say, don't be a coward. And then sometimes I would say, okay, hard. And he would whack me soft. He said, that's good. Then another time I would say hard. He would whack me even harder. 
And he said, don't think you're going to get away with that all the time. 45 wax I got on my arm. My arm was swollen when I got home. I could not even lift my arm. That guy talks to me on Facebook very lovingly, very supportive now, now that he's older. He's a musician. I love his music. And I released all of that, not just for me, but for him. And so we're friends now. And after being tormented by my parents, my wife and I built a home to move them both in with us to take care of them, not because I had to, not because I was trying to prove I was a good son, but because I wanted to do it for their soul. They were mentally ill. Mom had Alzheimer's, dad had dementia. I knew I wasn't going to reach their brains and prove to them, oh, I'm such a good son. I did it because I wanted it to maintain their comfort. Two old little Italian people would have suffered being in a nursing home. So we took care of them. They were in a beautiful home. They experienced my family, their great-grandchildren that were born. And so they knew it at the end. The point is that this whole story and the reason why I'm even sharing it this much is because we all have that capacity But we have to do the work to get to it, to believe enough about ourselves that manifests a more loving, fulfilling outer world and experience. And that's why I spent 40 years of my life putting that information in this book, The Secret That's Holding You Back. It's all in there because I experienced it personally. And once this developed and I started being directed and I was hesitant because I didn't want to give up the acting career. I was going to be a singer, actor, and dancer and get an Academy Award and a Tony and an Emmy. That was my goal until I realized all of that was to do this. So now I can have fun with people. I can make them laugh. I can entertain them. And while I'm doing that, I can talk to them about the deepest pains in their lives, the darkest places within their psyche. Those are the tools that I use, not just my psychic ability, but if I can make you smile you let me in easier. You have permission to, to speak now. <laughs> I love that. Okay, so if someone were to bully you today, if someone is coming at you today, what do you do? I go right to the good side of them, to the side that was created by the greater force and source. Every single human carries a soul within them. Every single human carries the God force within them because that's who we are. But not every single human remembers that. I do the best I can to remember and reflect back. First of all, I don't get bullied. The worst I get is comments about some of the work I put out there, maybe some positive thing, and somebody turns around and said, you are so full of shit. All you care about is attention and stuff like that. And then I reach them and I write back. And I say to them, it is very sad that you dislike yourself so much that you need to try to make other people dislike themselves or feel bad about themselves. I hope you get to truly see who you are because this is only one layer of who you are as a defense to hide what you're really believing about yourself. You're far greater than that. I'm sure you have some of your own great talents. Don't be afraid to put them out there. But you are serving no purpose other than hurting yourself by trying to hurt me. So point out their injustice for sure that not only do i see it they see it and everybody else who's reading it sees it and it's so funny because i'm very active on social media obviously right i have to be and there will be comments and before i even get to write anything 
All my followers chime in ahead of me. And it's like, you don't know, Vince. I can't believe you're saying that. It's like, whoa, 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 guys. You don't have to thank you so much for defending me because what I don't want to have happen, see, it is not any better to pick up your arms to go fight somebody to defend them. We have been so off track. I'm going to say something extremely controversial. It doesn't matter whether it's controversial or not. It's the truth. From the very beginning of time, we should have never, ever fought, killed, or hurt to defend ourselves. Amen. It would have been better for all of us to just been taken out some way or another than to damage our souls. Because all I keep hearing now is you created a pattern, a pattern that you can no longer go back on. The only way we're going to change the pattern of fighting and battling, even if it seems to be for injustice and freedom, okay, is by everything wiping out and starting all over again. We're not going to stop the problem of fighting. When people are asking for peace on earth, you will never see peace on earth because we already created the perfect excuse to be able to continue to fight. Stand up for freedom. Be patriotic. You are not free when you have to choose to go in a direction that is not natural for humans, and that is to kill. It is not natural for the soul. So you're already enchained and imprisoned by that attitude. So who's free then? Who's free then? It's not unconditional freedom. It's conditional freedom. And that's the reason why we're having a hard time growing because then everything stems off of conditional everything. There's no unconditional love. Parents, <laughs> give me a break, parents. You're fucking full of shit that you have unconditional love for your children. If that's the case, then don't fucking complain when they don't send you a Mother's Day card or a Father's Day card because they forgot and they were busy. Don't fucking complain that they haven't picked up the phone to call you. If it's unconditional love, you give it without any expectation to receive it. But it's not true. We expect a return. I, it's so funny because mothers are definitely different than fathers are in that way. Because my wife, she'll just go, wow, you know, it's my birthday and my son hasn't called yet. And it's like, honey, do you really think he's not calling because he doesn't love you? He's like, well, no, no, it doesn't. But what? stop and think about why you're upset. Why would you be upset that he doesn't call? He's a loving person. He's out in the world. And you know he's a millennial. And so he's so involved in his family and showing love there that he's not looking at the time. His first thought in the morning isn't, oh, today's my mother's birthday. I better call her and wish her a happy birthday because I want to show how appreciative I am. We laid all that in them to go out there into their world so that we can enjoy them and watch them raise their own families and all of that. Why do we have to force them to have to think about us? They think about us. Oh my God, that is so true, Vincent. And you just described my brother, but he has his sister, his Gen X, who will call him and say, hey, don't forget, it's mom's birthday. Mom's birthday, (laughs) yes, absolutely. Just like my daughter, She'll be the one that's a call your mother. It's a birthday. It's just like, we have so much expectation. And the whole reason for that is because our emotional needs were not met 
when we were younger growing up and we're constantly mm -hmm. seeking them. And even as parents, we seek them. My mother's greatest pain towards me was I went out into the world and did what I wanted and made my own friends. And she felt so rejected, so mm -hmm. neglected that she would retaliate and would beat me when we were in the home when I was doing that. And then once I was away, she would constantly, she just felt abandoned, but that was because she had her own hurts. And the reason why she even had children is to assure she was gonna be loved. But she was really surprised when her children wanted a mind of their own, especially from two parents who were you know, very abusive. Of course, we were gonna go out on our own. So she manifested her own fears, but what did I do? I took care of her. And here's what was incredible about my experience with my parents. All during the time I was taking care of them, their mental health, they were fighting me. Amongst themselves, they had walker wars. They had walkers and they would bang them into each other when they got angry. <laughs> my mother was always coming out. They were married 62 years and my mother wanted a divorce. I said, mom, <laughs> if we went to a judge to say that, he's going to laugh you right out of the court and say, get the hell out of here. You, you only got a few years left, tolerate each other. Um, uh, so, but with me... <laughs> It wasn't until the end, the very end, the day before mom was dying, she was unconscious most of the time. And then she became conscious again. And we were visitors in the room and she just could only had the energy to open up her eyes and move around the room until she spotted me. And she spotted me, put a small smile on her face and a tear came down her eye. She was crying, but with a smile, and she closed her eyes and the next day she died. And I knew she got it. She knew what it was. See, mom, that's what unconditional love is. I care about you, I love you, and that's okay. And she knew I would lose her. My father did the, he was the enforcer for my mother, didn't, was not a high intelligent man. He would, he would, when my mother said, go beat Vinny, go beat my brother. He would just come with his belt, beat us, and then go ask her why. So he was just the enforcer, no fathering whatsoever, no playing, no nothing, no talking, nothing, just the enforcer. And we took care of him too. And on the day that he was dying, he looked at me and he sighed and he said, you did what you could. You did what you could. I understand. And then he closed his eyes and he died. So even if it's at the last moment, they can get it. If you get it, if you get it, if you understand it, it's here. And the, the person you have to have the most forgiveness for first is yourself. Yeah. Because yeah. we blame ourselves for everything anyway. So like I blame myself for why I was being abused. And I have to tell you a real funny story. Remind me funny story about being abused. Okay. <clears throat> and so... Once I realized that I was blaming myself for everything, and we even do it as adults, you know, just because we're egocentric when we're children, when we blame ourselves for everything then because we think the world revolves around us, we do it as adults too. And that's scientific proof of that. And research has shown that. You take a woman that is in a domestic violent situation and you counsel her and you're trying to convince her to get out of that situation, you know, she turn around and say that we have to combat is it's not his fault, it's my fault. I make him angry. They're still blaming themselves. So you've got to know that's all we do. So if it's about forgiveness, no matter who abuses you, at first you may be angry as a defense mechanism and be blaming, 
But unconsciously, which is in my book, you're blaming yourself. Well, if I was more lovable, if I was good enough, he wouldn't, she wouldn't be treating me that way. So a few years ago, I rehooked up with one of my colleagues from school. Now, he wasn't an abuser, but he would verbally sit and make fun of me at times. But he wasn't that bad of a guy, okay? So we hooked up, and now we're communicating. And I turned around and I wrote to him one day. We're back and forth texting. And I said, you know what? You're such a nice guy. I wish that we were more friendly back in those days. And he writes me and he says, Vince, I hope you understand why everybody picked on you. And I go, no, I actually don't know why everybody picked on me. I thought it was because I was scrawny and said some real stupid things. He says, no, you were such a good looking kid. The girls would talk about you all the time. Plus you were so talented that the guys were jealous and we were mad at you. And so that's why they picked on you. I said, wait a minute, hold on, time out here. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you telling me that I got abused because you thought I was fucking great? <laughs> I love it. That changes everything. I am totally healed. If that's going to be a reason for me getting abused, it's the best reason around because I was so good and you guys knew it. Holy shit. It changed it. It's a whole thing. I thought you picked on me because I was this skinny, scrawny, dorky kid. It's like, <laughs> no, because I was so talented and good looking and the girls talked about me. Shit, I would have picked on me too. That is right. <laughs> we create these narratives, right? We create these stories that are so wrong. Well, that's not the reason why my parents picked on me. Well, they wanted my love. My mother wanted my love so much you know, because that's why she had me. And I had my own mind. I didn't want to do what she wanted me to do. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Go fig, right? But no, I'm not condoning it. And I'm not saying, you know, it's just like, you need to stand in justice. Blessed are the righteous for righteousness sake. So retaliating is not righteous, but pointing out the wrong with the compassion is Gandhi's greatest success. And same with Martin Luther King Jr. If you look at the leaders today that made any difference in the world, they did it with compassion, but they stood. Like Gandhi faced the British and he was trying to teach his people, you need to believe in yourself enough. You don't need to depend on them. And he stood there and he let them beat him until they faced their own inhumanity. And that's when they stopped. So that's my work is all about feeling better about yourself and believing in yourself. And that changes everything, your attitude, the way you act towards others, everything. Just like your daughter's bully friend guy there, I bet you she can turn him around to be her friend by just showing him some compassion before he gets worse. Oh, wouldn't that be amazing? I think it's also for us adults, what I'm hearing is the awareness. You had to be aware of all of those things to be able to connect with them and to let them go. The issues that were stopping you from living the life you wanted. Yeah, that's why I wrote my book, because my book is about the defense mechanisms. You, the two highest functions of the human brain is one, to keep us alive, and two, to protect us in order to keep us alive. Okay, so we know how it protects us physically. 
It creates antibodies to fight viruses that enter our body. It even creates your fever, your temperature, will raise your body temperature to make it an unlivable environment for the bacteria or the virus, like the coronavirus, right? How does it protect us emotionally when we have emotional pain? Well, it will create a whole new set of beliefs and behaviors to shield you and protect you from those that are making you feel bad about yourself. So awareness, actually, when you come to this awareness, that's when the healing begins. But the awareness now, that is the most difficult part of this entire process. And I've written about in my book, getting through those defense mechanisms. Those are the blocks. Your bad emotions and negative feelings about yourself they're not completely stopping you. It's the defense mechanism that's keeping you from seeing what you're really feeling that is stopping you. And those defense mechanisms can be so strong. I've dealt with thousands of clients from all over the world and everybody has all similar problems no matter where they come from in the world. And especially when I'm working on relationship, okay? Because this is the hardest one. The lack of a relationship is directly correlated to the lack of self-love and self-belief you have. And to try to convince somebody of that. Now, as a psychic, I get to go down into the darkest places of your mind that you have pushed away and have the hardest time seeing. I get to see it. Now I have to reflect that back to you. Oh, I see. You know, I see little Mandy. You know, I see little Shanna. And she is not believing that she's lovable. She is not believing that she's worthy enough. And you're going, yes, I do. Yes, I, I do believe I'm lovable. It's just that there are too many jerks out there. That's why I haven't been able to find, you know, the right guy. Or I've wound up attracting the wrong one. And, you know, so next time I'll make better choices if I even have a next time. And all these excuses come out. And I'm like, there's 8 billion people on the face of the earth. And you keep bringing in the wrong guy. Come on, give me a break. What do you think that means? Right. Where is that happening and coming from? So the awareness is the hardest part. I love this. We've never talked about the defense mechanisms. We've never talked about that. You know, one thing that was a super aha moment for me when it comes to awareness was also being aware that no one can make me feel anything that I choose how I feel. That was like the most humbling shit I have ever heard in my life. And it kind of pissed me off because I'm like, now I have to take responsibility for yeah. all of my feelings right. and how I choose to feel. Fuck that. I wanted to blame it on everyone else. Of course you do. But the first thing you learn in psychology is how feelings are created. Feelings are created from thoughts. You have to have a thought first. But guess what? It has to be your thought first not somebody else's words. And so then it feeds into thoughts, feed into the feelings, which feed into behaviors, which feed into more thoughts. So you got a triangular pyramid going on constantly and it's always moving. So how does that work then when somebody turns around and says to you, you know, you're a stupid jerk, what an asshole you are, and you start feeling bad. Well, I'll give you an example this way. Shannon, let's say I turn around and I say, you know what? You are the dumbest Japanese man I have ever met in my life. Let's say I just come up to you and I just say that. Okay, you see what you just said? You see what you just did? You laugh. You would laugh yeah. at me. I don't believe that about myself. 
Bingo. It's not until I say something and then what happens, it's the automatic thoughts that go by. The subconscious mind doesn't only control your automatic bodily functions like beating your heart, taking a breath and everything else that goes with it. It also responds automatically to the way you've trained it emotionally and thoughtfully. What happens is somebody now criticizes you and you have to actually say to yourself so quickly, you see, I knew I was a dumbass. You see, I knew I'm stupid. Especially if you believe it, that's what's going to happen. Like you just said, I don't believe that. But if I turned around and says that was really stupid and you get upset about that, it's because you believe you are stupid. Yep. You will only react to something that you believe in. Exactly. So you know you have to have the thought first, Mandy. You have to have that thought so nobody else can make you feel bad about yourself. And this is interesting, too. When you, you always hear people saying, oh, they keep taking advantage of me. They keep taking. No, nobody can take advantage of you. You could give advantage, but you can't be taken advantage of. We are not victims in this world. We are in a totally ordered universe. And in order, victimization could not survive. That means everything would be random and could be random. Now, even though you have a spontaneous choice, even in that, it's still ordered because the spontaneous choice is going to be based on who you are, what you're used to, even though you think you're doing something. It's all known and understandings, okay? Everything we're living in this life has already been known and already experienced. So therefore, nobody can hurt you. Even, and I know this is the hardest part for people to understand. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So you're saying if I'm somewhere and a guy comes in, and I'm having an intimate time with friends of mine and very innocent and I get shot, it's my fault. The word fault makes us feel so bad about ourselves. Mm. But I will say this using this example. There was a morning that a father woke up and said, you know, honey, I'm gonna drive the kids to school the morning. I'm gonna go to, to, to work late. Instead of them taking a bus, let me take them to school. I, I got home late last night. I didn't see them that much. I want to see them. I'm going to drive them to school. Or another one saying, you know what? I'm taking a me day. I haven't taken time off all year. I am staying home today and just relaxing. Or another one going, um, I don't want to come home from work late again and deal with traffic. So I'm going to do my chores. I'll go to work late. And several, several numerous people had that experience that one morning. Do you know what morning that was? That was the morning of 9-11. Yep. Something told them to do something else other than going to work. And unfortunately, many of those people suffered from guilt, survival guilt. Yeah. Because why me? Why did I? There is intuition with everybody. We constantly get guidance. I don't know what the others may or may not have heard. I don't even know what their destiny was. Once you get into the metaphysical world, there are so many different theories about why souls were allowed to be killed or allowed themselves to be killed. I don't know everything I hear 
and and spirits tell me certain things and so yes i have my own beliefs and theories about that i don't know what's true and not i just know it's hard to accept down here but there is no victimization even as far as that otherwise there'd be no chance of growth and evolvement right none we could not have set this up to be just random yeah. pieces of biology yeah. coming here and just experiencing what everything happens to us. There's got to be a reason for it because then we see results. We see those people who manifest from the way they're thinking. And if you think that one thing is possible, it really all has to be possible. You know, mm. so much of the rest of the stuff and all for us and for our growth. It's just like, why do you two it together? That's not random. And what you're producing here in your own podcast, that's not random. That is all intentional. Your soul's directed you. And the way you know that is because of the success and what it's putting out there that's positive, that's changing other people's lives. Well, it's also alive in the way that anytime man just going through something, guests showing up just for her, anytime I'm going through something or my family or, you know, we're receiving exactly what we need. It's so beautiful. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. You know, I wanted to add something else that's amazing. When I was able to start seeing people's souls versus just their physical bodies. And when I did a lot of work on myself and got some integrity and self-love and self-awareness and did some work, I was able to find forgiveness for some people that I never thought I would ever be able to find forgiveness for. And when I did, it catapulted my awakening because I truly believe that loving with no conditions, that forgiveness huh. is the moment where you get the most divine downloads. It's like this moment where you're in your complete oneness and love. And I, I don't know, Vincent, can, do you agree? Like when you've gone to these places and you have just forgiven out of complete love, do you feel like you've been catapulted in your awakening? Absolutely. I tell everybody that if you do the work in this book, it's going to be the hardest work you've ever done. It actually is easier to become a CEO of a company than it is to do the work that's in this book, because it's all about self-forgiveness. It's all about releasing that, that negative, I'm not good enough. It's reversing all of that, that I'm, because when you forgave, you took a large step in self-love, a self-love step. I love myself so much, I'm going to release this so that I can experience a better life that instantaneously opens you up to your own godness. Mm -hmm. And, and the divinity is the other word you used. And when you do that, it all happens. So when I tell people, this will be the most beneficial work that when you get to the other side and you don't even have to complete it, as you're doing the work, you will see the results, you will get validation. And as you're doing it, you're motivated to do even more work, to go deeper, to go deeper. And when you get to the other side, just like you just said, man, you get so catapulted. Things are happening and manifesting in your life that you've wanted from even a long time ago. Wow, I only wanted that years ago and thought I could never have it. And look, it's right in front of me now. Holy crap, this is incredible. Nobody understands until they experience it. And I'm glad you shared that. Because when you experience it, like I tell people all the time, doing the work that I have done on myself has afforded me the ability to stand on this stage and speak to all of you people. 
I get emails constantly about people's lives being changed. And I cannot tell you how much like God that feels. I cry when I hear that because that's all I care. That was my prayer, right? I said, and I shared to you, I wanted to help my friend and people like him because I knew what it was like not to love yourself. Neil Donald Walsh wrote in his first book, Conversations with God, that God said, I wish you were all selfish down there, truly selfish. Because if you thought only of yourself, you would automatically extend whatever you do out onto others because of how good it makes you feel. Right. You would love, you would forgive, you would give, you would help. You know, there are some sects and beliefs, philosophies that you're supposed to do everything selflessly. Fuck that. No, you're not. That is the <laughs> dumbest ass belief. It's all about you. And who is it about if it's not about you? It's about your experience of yourself. Being a parent, the happier my children are with their lives makes me feel so great that yeah. I made them. Shanna says that all the time. She's like, fuck that sign that says family, faith, and friends. Where's the me in that shit? That's right. <laughs> you can't have family, faith, and friends without the me first. We were created for that. And here's what's really funny. Apparently, the almighty, or whatever power we want to call it, thought it was good because we wrote about it. In creation, everything that God created, including us, he turned around and he said to himself, motherfucker, this was great and saw it was good, and saw it was good. So he knew himself, he did, it did, she did something great and fantastic. And that's okay. what it's all about. I have kids from 25 to 10. Mandy does too, that big spread of age. Maybe I wasn't awakened to this with my older kids, which I still have made a difference in their lives since. But my youngest one, she grew up with me teaching her self-love from the beginning. Okay. Mandy's daughter, same. Now you have people who are listening to this podcast today who knows what you're saying is true. They're awakened to no longer being the martyr. Oh, gone are the days. So here we are teaching people to love themselves, you know, men and women. What does the world look like then? Totally opposite of what it looks like now. I know. Psychologists say suffering is caused because you look at the world the way you'd like it to be rather than the way it truly is. Mm -hmm. I say suffering is caused from not seeing the world the way it could be. Mm -hmm. And when you look at people and you can see their goodness in them, because when do we see all of that? after the building falls, after, after a country is being bombed, after a pandemic is going on and killing a whole bunch of people, now all of a sudden you see the divinity and the goodness come out of people, but it doesn't last very long, does it? They're still bombing. This dopey guy who's been hurt so much is still killing innocent people, but we're not talking about that anymore because that's gone. All right, that's old news now. Yeah, he's still killing people, but it's still going on. And yeah. as long as we keep ignoring that stuff, rather than truly trying to, how do we fix that? How do we help that? I, I know exactly how you fix that and help that. You help you. 
you heal you and then extend that out to some way on making another human being feel good about him or herself. That's what we were talking about before. So this time, yes, I know all the acts of kindness. Now we had that coming out for a long time now, acts of kindness, acts of kindness. They're not just random acts of kindness. There's no such thing as a random act of kindness. It is not random, it's intentional and purposeful. Okay, mm -hmm. and what a what a, an act of kindness does is help a person feel good about him or herself. But this time, I want you to extend. You do those things. I know people do it all the time. They buy coffee for the guy behind them. I had things. I was in the supermarket. I ran out of change. I was like looking for it. And the guy right behind me just gave the dog. Here, here, here. It's OK. Don't worry about it. Those are fabulous things. Now I want everybody to do extend and do one thing more when you do that. It's very easy for us because that's who we are as spirit. The next time you do something, the next time you're standing in line and you want to pick up the person's coffee behind you, turn around and say to that person, I want to buy you coffee because I care about you. You matter. Love it. Not only will that person be blown away, and if it's a New Yorker, he or she will turn around and say, what do you want? <laughs> It's really funny. After we moved to North Carolina, we would drive back, right? And what do you hit when you drive back from North Carolina to New York? Tolls, right? So every time we came to a toll, I stopped and I said, thank you so much. I hope you have a really good day. And literally, the closer I got to New York, they would cock their head and look at me. Like, what do you want? What do you have to get? Because they don't trust, right? Because they've not heard anything good. Yeah. So yeah. if you just go out of your way a little bit more to make somebody feel good about him or herself, that is the whole reason why people are acting the way they're acting is because they don't feel good about themselves. They've not heard compliments. I will see women or even men, if they're dressed a certain way or they just had their hair done, and stuff, I will go out of the way and I'd say, you know what? I know you took time to make yourself look like that today. And I just want to let you know, you're putting off such a positive energy. It makes a difference. I'm so glad you thought about yourself that way. And they look at me and they're like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. You know, they get, oh, that really looks good on you today. That really looks good. But nobody ever turns around and says, you took the time to care yeah. that much about yeah. how you look, how beautiful. And look at what you did to your nails and, and the guy. Wow, what a great suit. What a great outfit You that really looks good on you. That's so nice that you made that choice today. Just make them feel good. There's so many ways of being able to do that. And that's what they need. That's the fuel. There is a verse in the Bible about how God was going to destroy a certain city. It's actually Jesus speaking and said, if there is anyone who is willing to stand in the wall in place of anybody here that makes it worthwhile, then the city will be saved. And what that actually means metaphorically, if there's even one person who's willing to believe in you, you can change everything. One person. And I know that as an example because I was so tormented. I didn't think I was lovable. And one person loved me. And one person believed in me. Even at my worst, she still believes in me. She believed in me enough when I changed my career. She believed in me. Oh, yeah, you want to be an actor? That sounds fantastic. I'm there with you. How exciting. And then when I changed into being a spiritual teacher, I can see that. Yeah, you're going to be a great spiritual teacher. I'm there right with you. 
And so she always believed in me. And then that's what I do. I believe in others. I believe in you. I don't care. I don't need to know you. You're my brother. You're my sister. You may, we may not have met personally right now in this lifetime, but we know each other from the past and we know each other from when we were created. And I love you enough to believe in you that no matter how you're acting in this life or how your life is changing, that's my success with my clients on the phone. They call me to finally get somebody who believes in them their own beauty and their own greatness. And it works. <laughs> You're making Shanna cry. <laughs> well, it's the truth. And that's only because it's reflecting you both, you women, how fabulous that I get to be on some shows sometimes where the hosts are complete reflections and examples of everything that I've even talked about. And mm -hmm. I get to meet such beautiful people. And so I'm telling you right now, there's so much more coming up for the both of you because of your beliefs and you're so needed in the world today. You are going to, if you haven't already, and, and no, you didn't ask me for a psychic premonition of any kind, but I'm going to throw it in there anyway, because I was just told it's okay. You will collaborate on a book that will be highly successful. So if you don't have that or started it yet, get to work on it and you're going to put it together and it's like all these thoughts all these understandings in your way putting it out there in words so i don't know if you were planning on that but that's exactly what's going to happen i woke up with that this morning are you uh, just saying that to make no, your I, swear look to God, like this super morning, deeper? I mean your guest this really? morning i woke up with that like i am fucking good you are good <laughs> I was sitting there laying in bed going what does that look like Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't, okay. Albert Einstein said, tell me what God is thinking, the details I don't need to know. And that's paraphrased. And what he meant by that is he believed in God, but not as a being or a deity like religion does. He saw it as a force and also an inspiration that it spoke to you in inspiration. So anytime he woke up with one of those inspirations and thoughts, he never questioned how it was going to get done. He immediately said, okay, we're doing it. And literally just sat there and waited with the pen and the pad in the end, because he knew the universe was going to bring to him all the details from that point on. I spent my time writing this other book. It took 10 years for me to come together with this other book. The original title was God, It's Not Working, What One Man Found That Makes Everything Work. And I always I got stuck on that title. I loved that title. A publisher finally picked me up and gave me over to an editor. And the first thing the editor says is, this is not your book. I said, what do you mean? This is not my book. This is what I want to write. Nope. Nope. You can write this later on. This is not your number one seller. This is not a New York Times bestseller yet. And then one day she writes me back and she says, holy shit. And she's all capitalized, right? In this email. I was at the gym today and I'm on the treadmill. And when I'm on the treadmill, I like listening to podcasts. So I went to my favorite podcast and I'm listening to it. And guess who was the interview? You. You need to write the way you speak. Go transcribe all your talks and put them in a book. That's your book. So that's how that happened without the intention of it happening that way. And so I wrote this book the way I speak. I shared some stories. So in the beginning, there are different stories to illustrate that what I'm talking about in that particular chapter. So it's very interesting. It's a lot of fun. The introduction, everybody loves because it is my experience on the first day on how all my paranormal stuff happened. It's exciting. And people love that first introduction chapter. 
but the rest of it then breaks down the steps you need to take and then the practices you need to practice all the time. And that's how it wound up formulating, but I had no idea it was going there. Here's a secret for you both that you can do. Pick out your favorite deceased author. And you may not even be familiar with too many of them, but one that just happens to pop up for you. And every time you're stuck on a word, a phrase, call upon that author. Hey, I did with Charles Dickens. I was told that Charles Dickens, I actually experienced. Charles Dickens is my favorite author because he wrote A Christmas Carol, my most favorite story. And every time I was stuck, I'm writing, oh my God, it was flowing out, flowing, flowing. And all of a sudden I get stuck. Wait, wait, how do I say that? What do I say there? Oh my gosh, I don't know. Charles, Charles, come on in. Are you around, please? Charles, I'm invoking Charles. My guide, I go to my guide. Joseph, could you do me a favor and put in a call to Charles? I don't have my iPhone on me. Could you just call him? And then all of a sudden I'd hear the word or the sentence or the phrase. And I go, thank you. Oh my God, that's perfect. I love this so much. Right in. It was the most fun that Charles Dickens collaborated with me. And, And most of the work was mine, but he helped me fill in some words and phrases that I didn't know was going to be there. It was just fabulous. So go have fun with it. Oh my God. That's awesome. But yes, that's what you're going to do. Wow. I'm so glad that you decided. Mandy and I talked a lot about this before when we've created things together before. And it's, it's like, we don't want to, to be that author that you're just reading words. We want them to feel our personality in the book. And I'm so glad that you wrote that book. Like you talk because the way you talk is so powerful. You have such a powerful energy. It's so pure, just so much love. I just, I have to ask you a hard question. Ask me. All right. There's a lot of suicide happening right now. A lot of kids that are, are feeling bullied alone. If there's a child out there who's thinking about possibly taking their life because they've been bullied or hurt so much, what words would you have for them right now? It would be really difficult because at that point, when you come to such a desperate point of wanting to end your life, that means you've been through so much and experienced so much negativity around you that it's hard pressed for me to be able to instantaneously say something positive that's going to turn you around. I have worked with people who I even believe they were on the phone with me while they had a gun or something sitting on the table and I was their last resort. And what I would say to them, yeah, sure, you made some mistakes in your life. Of course you made mistakes. And of course you may be believing that, yeah, you manifested a lot of shit in your life, but none of it was your fault. First of all, you were never taught how magnificent you were. You never were taught how blessed you are with such talent and divinity. You got it. So as a psychic, I pick out and I can see their beauty within them. And I reflect it back to them. Look at what you're capable of doing. Here you are. You're on the phone with me. Why are you on the phone with me? You're reaching out. That means you care. That means there's something inside of you that's worth saving, that wants to stay alive. There is a beauty in you that you've not had the chance to experience. But if you give yourself the chance and you go the right path and you start listening to the right people and seeking out the right people and the right words, they will come to you. You will track them and you will find your worth and your value because no human defines who you are. No situation defines who you are. You get to define who you are. And besides that, you would define upon creation. 
the moment that you were created, you exist. It means you mean something. The whole reason why you want to kill yourself is because you think that there's something better on the other side and you want to end this shit over here. I don't blame you. I've even said to God, maybe we should wipe this all out now because it's all bull crap that's going on. And maybe we should start all over again. But let me give you a little secret. Life continues. You won't die. You think you're dying. You're just taking away the human side. And maybe you think the pain goes away with the human going away. Mm, it doesn't. You'll be carrying that personality onto the other side with you. You'll be carrying this lack of believing in yourself and loving yourself on the other side. It doesn't just end and it's all hunky-dory the way they said. You know, we were told that the kingdom of heaven resides inside of us. So we have to learn how to make it. Now you'll get a lot of love over there. Yeah, sure. But you'll be going through all of the same stuff of needing to do it. And here's the thing, your soul is keeping you here. If it wanted you out, you would have died by a disease. You would have had an aneurysm. You wouldn't have woke up this morning if you were meant to leave. You so want you here because it knows that there's value to who you are. And you're going to find that value. I can help you find that value. Other people can help you find that value. But there is something valuable about yourself that you are not seeing. And that's why it hurts so much. And I know it's painful and I don't blame you. Truly don't blame you. Besides, you don't want to set yourself up with some real shitty karma. Oh my God. Ooh. You think yourself, oh my God, when you get to the other side, if you do this, you're going to feel like the greatest piece of shit. Why? I'll tell you why. You made a plan when you came down here without knowing it, of course, you're down here. And you plan to meet all these people for however long you chose to live. Let's say you chose you wanted to live 80 years. From now until 80 years, you were meeting all of these people that you were going to have interactions with. And they had contracts with you. Hey, you know what? When you're 20 years old, will you meet me and we'll do this and maybe we'll become really good friends or whatever. I'll become your girlfriend and then this will happen and this will happen. And then at 50 and then at 60 and then at 70 and you're meeting all of these people, hundreds of souls you're going to meet and interact with. Now you decide, boom, I don't want to stay around anymore. You have changed every single one of those contracts, including the person that you might have affected just by saying hello, the person you just want to kill yourself. What about that kid who wants to pick up a gun and go shoot a whole bunch of other people? Maybe sometime if you were still alive, you'd be meeting somebody, smile at him, say something nice, and he doesn't go to that gun and he stops that. Or that somebody is talking to somebody else who now does something nice for him, that does something nice for another person, that does something nice, that reaches this maniac Putin on the other side and finally makes him stop killing the people in the Ukraine. And all because you did something nice over here. So you're telling me you don't have value you don't see your value but you can if you stay here so why don't you stay here and let's start working on seeing your value vincent who are you who oh my god well, you must have been i don't know I think we just had like a profound TED talk that happened on our Vince of Soul podcast. That was- Oh, um, I like that. I can't even get in it. All the talking I'm doing, I can't even get a TED talk. Would you believe that? Well, fuck TED. Fuck TED. I know somebody is. I hope they're enjoying it. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> oh my God. I love you. Thanks so much for coming on Sense of Soul. Oh my God. Thank you for having me and, and oh my God, totally Vincent. occupying and taking over this entire interview. 
Thank you. Vincent, tell our listeners where they can find you, where they can get your book. All right. All they have to do is go to vincentjenna.com. That's with a G-E-N-N-A. You can connect with me there on all my social media platforms. Um, Instagram is, an, of course, we're all on Instagram now, right? And that'll give you a, my link tree link, which will show you all the other links that you go to. Find me on Facebook as well. And I even have a group there based on my book, The Secret That's Holding You Back, that people are buying my book on Amazon, amazon.com. That's the best way to get it. And then you join this group and you share your experiences while you're working through. I'll be on this group and I'm responding to these people. And by sharing, you can see each other's successes as well as their stumbling blocks because everybody has the same issue out there. They just don't know they have the same issue. And it's all that self-love that we're trying to work through now. So that's the best way to get to me is through all my social media. I will respond back my website, get my book and do yourself a favor, the greatest favor of all. And you will be able to create the life of your dreams that I can promise if you do the work. And did you throw out your podcast? That's right. Yeah, I forgot that. The Jenna Effect, and I'm on all podcast platforms, but you can really find me on mindbodyspirit.fm and mm -hmm. there you'll be able to find all my other episodes because I used to be a host on Unity Online Radio. Mm -hmm. And so they moved all of the podcasts from that show over to my the Jenna effect. So there's so many different things on there, which awesome. are really empowering and powerful. So the Jenna effect, and you'll see that also on my Facebook and my website. Well, thanks for affecting me. <laughs> You're very welcome. I appreciate it. And now it's time for Break That Shit Down. You can become unstoppable. Especially now, there's nothing holding you back except you. You need to believe in yourself before you believe in anything else. And I make very strong promises because I see those promises work. You are worth putting the work in. And here's a mantra I want you to all keep right everywhere you can. Stick it on your refrigerator so that you see it all the time. Here it is. I love myself so much. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to experience my greatest existence here because I deserve it. I'll repeat that. It's in my book too. I love myself so much. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to experience my greatest existence here because I deserve it. And you do deserve it. So get the book, do the work. Don't just sit on your ass and think it's going to happen by itself. You're going to then be so thrilled that you did this. You'll love yourself even more and then realize what all of this is for. You know what? You are the definition of unfuckwithable. Yeah. Thank you both so much. And understand this about yourselves. You can never see what's in another person that's fabulous unless it's there with inside of yourself. I'm just a mirror of what's already inside of you. Otherwise you would never even acknowledge that or be able to see it. So you've got it together too. And I, and I just love the fact that you gave me this opportunity. So thank you from my soul and my heart. Thank you so okay. much. Bye-bye ladies, take care. And I wish you all the best. Namaste. To you too. Thanks for being with us today. We hope you will come back next week. If you like what you hear, don't forget to rate, like, and subscribe. Thank you. We rise to lift you up. Thanks for listening.